Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kurt, another episode of PBT Extra. A lot has happened, including breaking news. But before we get there, um, how was your weekend? It was good. Actually, last weekend was uh, my first. I, I, did, I don't know if your parents did this. Uh, they, I, I went up to Parents Weekend at uh, UC Santa Barbara for my daughter and uh, hung out in Santa Barbara for a weekend and felt old. Uh, but but, <laughs> but got to, you know what? Got to see her in her natural environment, hanging with her roommate, her sweet mates, roommates and stuff. And uh it was a really great experience, and she's happy, so I, I, I'm excited. That's that's amazing. It's kind of crazy, right, to think that, like, what, three months ago, didn't y'all, in August, was that four months ago, you guys did the, the first visit, and it's like, the I'm sure the trepidation of, like, will I make friends, will I like my roommate, you know, and then now it's like, every, every, it seems like she has found her friends, yes. maybe, for uh, life? Uh, I, for Well, I think you, you and I know, like, you, you form really strong bonds in college that last a really long time, so I, I hope so. These seem like really great people that she's got as roommates and sweetmates. So we'll see where that goes, but she just, it's just, you're around somebody, you know, that well, and you're, you know, like my daughter and you're like, wow, she's just in her comfort zone. She's just oh. happy. So that was, that was all good. And plus a weekend in Santa Barbara is never bad. <laughs> just no, it's still a beautiful campus and on the beach. So uh, how was your weekend? What'd you do? Well, I know you're a Notre Dame fan. So yeah. I think we both, can say that it was a great yes. weekend <laughs> beating a top five Clemson team. Uh, so yeah, Clemson was number four. And uh, I mean, the fact that they held them store- scoreless, Notre Dame held yeah. Clemson scoreless in the first half. I mean, it's just remarkable. So for me, you know, I, I was uh, ecstatic, thrilled. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, and Michael Mayer made more history. I, the whole thing was great. So for me as a Notre Dame fan, what a weekend, what a weekend. Yeah, that was, that was, I didn't get to see the game and then I, Rewatched it later on Peacock, watched the replay. It was just it, unbelievable. Yeah. It's funny. It's like the team is just like, we're not going to get into it, but you know, they're sitting at six and three, three more games left, got a top 10 match against USC in your neighborhood, the final game. And I mean, that USC game, Kurt, I'm telling you, that's like, what a cool rivalry, USC, Notre Dame. Okay. And to like with the, especially with the implications of like, can you salvage the season? You know, you, you start off with Ohio State in top five, goes disastrously bad for the program. And then can you get you know, salvage it? And, you know, after what winning at that point, it'd be who knows, like eight out of nine or something ridiculous, straight yeah. games. And then in beating a top 10 USC team, it'd be it'd be pretty sweet for Notre Dame. But we have a lot of um, basketball news to get to. So we just got to get straight to it. Jock Bond uh, was interim coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Now he's the full head time, full time head coach, excuse me. Uh, what do you think about this? Right now, the Nets are two and two, 500 under his tenure. Do you think this is a good move by the organization? 
Yeah, I think it's a stabilizing move. It was my kind of my first thought, which is with all the chaos swirling around with Kyrie Irving and everything else, I mean, there was, look, let's just put it out there. There was talk of them hiring out of the gate, Emi Adoka. That was the name that came up. He was a former Steve Nash assistant. Kevin Durant really liked him. That was the direction they were going to go. But this is a guy who was suspended for a year for an improper relationship in in Boston, a, a affair that had all sorts of stuff around it. We don't have the full picture, but it was enough that the Celtics said, hey, our coach that took us to the finals last year, yeah, yeah, we're suspending him for the year. Like, it was that serious. Can you imagine the blowback, Corey, if they just hired him? So, in that sense, I think Udoka's, look, he's a good, solid coach, but it avoids, I just, that would have been such a PR disaster, Corey. And this is uh, also the, the whole concept for Sean Marks, you know, like he grew up in the, you know, he, he's very uh, well, um, I would say, educated in the Spurs system. Right. Yeah. And so Ime Udoka also coming from that that family tree as far as like a school of thought. But guess what? Jock Vaughn also yeah. came from that school of thought. So you're right. I, I feel like if you're looking at a stabilizing move, but still want to get back to what made the Nets the desirable destination that made Kyrie and Kevin, uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant want to go there in the first place, um, building that core team that Sean Marks was doing so well back a couple of years ago, you just get back to what works, right? And this is just like you know, anything else. When you start really re- like hitting um, uh, a really tough area or you, you start hitting adversity, that's the word everyone likes to use is return to the fundamentals. And I think Sean Marks and the organization is doing exactly that. Like, what got us here? Like, let's go back to the to square one. Stable moves that are in line with, like, what we learned from the Spurs organization, you know, from all of our tenures. And I think this is actually a very good move. And remember we talked about before, Kurt, I think what's what happened in Atlanta is going to happen here, especially with the most recent move of uh, suspending Kyrie. What was your take on that? Five games, at least five game suspension uh, without pay. I think it, first off, I think it will be more than five. Just talking to people around the league and, and stuff, th- that sixth game he could come back for would be against the Lakers in Los Angeles on Sunday. I think that's a pretty tense environment to bring him back into a major media market where if he's playing, it will look like a finals game in terms of media there, just because there's so much already in town. And hey, I'd be there. Like like, but like everybody would go. That intensity um, going up against his former player, LeBron, I got a feeling it's not happening that fast. Like, it's going to take a little longer. And they laid out six steps for his return. Uh, We could go through them all, but there's a sense around the league that some of those steps were put there because he might not fulfill them. Like, I'm not sure. I mean, if you're the Nets, how eager are you to get him back on the court? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think the crickets would tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, let's, yeah. let's, just, let's just have a, a quick, uh, like, let's just take stock, right? I always think, generally speaking, if you give some time to something, you can tell the fruit. Was it good fruit or bad fruit? I think it's clear to see in Kyrie's NBA career, everywhere he's been, there's been this wake of kind of chaos or discontent, discontent yeah. right? But then let's move in specifically because, you know, we want to give people room in, for, for growth, right? But let's just talk about in the past, you know, few years in Brooklyn, absolute chaos and discontent every single year, there's something, you know? And at this point, it's not like, you know, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, fool me four times. Like how many times did you be fooled? And I think this goes back to the initial you know, point by the, by the Nets organization. Let's return to the fundamentals. Uh, before we got sidetracked. And I think that this 
is, I mean, moving on from Kyrie Irving, which they were going to do probably next year anyways, right? right? I think now, doing it now is just making everything easier for, for everyone involved, I personally think. Yeah, I don't, I, I think that they would be willing to move on. They, the problem is right now you just have to waive him, which I, or send him home in a, you know, John Wall in Houston kind of way that they don't really want to do. They can't trade him. There is zero trade market for him. And unfortunately for the Nets, the only way you up that trade value is A, bring him back and have him be like a good citizen and kind of own up to everything and do all this well, stuff. They tried several and, times. Right. But then you've got to play him. Like he's going to have to play his way back into a contract. I, I will say this. I don't know where he's going to land next year. I'd, I'd be shocked if he returned to Brooklyn. But wherever he goes, I don't think there's a team out there that would give him more than a one-year deal at this point. And that's, and that's, I think, the whole thing is, remember, this was the situation coming into this year was, hey, this is a contract year. You know, like yep. you have to, and, and we talked about this last year, missing half the games because of vaccine mandate, all, all the, the, like the, the statements being released from Brooklyn. Like it was almost kind of like you get this fax. It was like, we want a partner, a good partner. All these warning signs to the rest of the world. Uh, kept coming over and over and over again, then that that's the backdrop for this season of, hey, you need to play your way into uh, reestablishing your trade value, and this happens, you know, 10 yeah. games into the season. So my point is that, like, fool me once, fool me twice, this keeps happening on every level you just said, from being a good citizen to playing your way, reestablishing your, your trade value. At a certain point in our organization, you got to say, let's just cut our losses. And, and I think that the Joe Tsai, you saw, especially this past few months his patience with Kevin Durant over the summer and then the patience with Kyrie Irving like it's really admirable I gotta say Kurt it, it makes me feel like um you know sometimes you're like were you too patient you know <laughs> were you like too forgiving and I think we're seeing that right now and I think Josiah is finally learning his lesson to say look like we just this is a disastrous experiment for all of us it's time to move on it's it's a hard line to walk though because if you're going to I mean they're in a major market Right. Like they're in New York. They're going to be able to draw stars the same way, even you know, the Clippers and the Lakers, like the Lakers are the premier brand. But the Clippers did get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like you can get them there, but you've got to be a player friendly organization, yet find a way to maintain your culture. You can't just give away the store. You've got to maintain your culture. You've got to have boundaries. The Heat have probably been better at this than anybody. The Spurs were really good at this, although it's easier with Tim Duncan, frankly, than, than a lot of other stars. Um, it's not an easy line to walk, and I think the Nets really could not find that, but they just gave away the farm, starting with, I mean, day one. like They dramatically overpaid DeAndre O'Jordan because Kyrie and and – and Kevin Durant wanted him. And from day one, those guys just had so much control and it's come back to, it's come back to haunt them. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, and Blake Griffin, you know, we think about like the, the, yeah. the series of decisions that, that have been made in Brooklyn, but you think, I mean, I know they didn't overpay him, but like the con concept of like assembling a constellation of former, you know, high draft picks or franchise type of players. LA tried that too last season, didn't work out. But before that, Brooklyn did that, you know? Yeah. So we, we think about what, what's happening in, in Brooklyn. For me, to hit your point on the market, you have to look at Steph Curry. San Francisco is one of the best markets in the world, right? Like it's a global market. And they have a global superstar, Hall of Famer. Um, and they were able to 
bring everything together. That championship culture and dynasty allows Steph to build his personal brand and elevate his platform, uh, bring in young players, develop them, bring in other stars that may be cantankerous at times like Draymond Green, you know, uh, and still have stability. Why? Because you have Steph Curry. But I guess, like you said, that's like Steph Curry's in the Tim Duncan school. (laughs) And, And there's just like, there's one Steph Curry. Right. And there's one Tim Duncan and the Bucks are the like right now, the only other organization I can think of off the top of my head that have gotten that lucky where there's one Giannis, you know, yeah. and then you could have all, all the constellation of whatever around him, all the different personalities, but still have stability. And that's just super rare. There's only like less than four or five people in the NBA, you know, that you can yeah. do that with. Yeah. And, and have that personality where they want to stay and they want to fight. I, I got to say the one other thing that's going to be interesting out of this, what the other 29 teams are now talking about is like, does Kevin Durant ask out? Like, does Kevin Durant put his trade request back on the table? Um, if so, when, what do they do about that? It hasn't happened yet. I want to be clear, like for people listening, hasn't happened yet. Not sure it's going to happen or when, well, I bet it does happen, but I don't know when, but they're, that just, they're, like, they're not talking about it right now, but there are a bunch of teams like, well, like, Man, front offices are brainstorming. What offer are we going to make? Like, what are they going to be looking for when it's time? Because everybody thinks it's coming. If you were the Nets, understanding this whole scenario, and you mentioned again, potentially another trade request by your star, Kevin Durant. And we talked about the trade hall that Rudy Gobert commanded last year. Maybe more favorable terms this year for a Kevin Durant trade. Would, would you be willing to do what Utah did? and blow it up and just bring in a haul and try to move forward. If you're the Nets organization, I, I think you're in a different place than you were this summer where, where a, frankly, you didn't want to trade him, but even if you did trade say Kyrie or some, or whatever, you were looking for players who could help you win. Now. I don't think so. I think you're looking to retool. You're looking for draft picks. Um, it's easy to say, to say, by the way, well, they can't tank. They, they've got a pick swap with Houston this year. And, and if they tank and ended up with a higher pick, Houston's going to be terrible. Look, Houston's going to be already is near the bottom of the league. They're going to have a very high draft pick, whatever it is. If that's your swap, it's not going to be that bad, right? Like, I think if you bring, I think you're just in a different position. If you trade Durant now, you may not be tearing it down to the studs, like the process or something, but you're completely rebuilding this thing, right? Like you're not, you're, you're just, I mean, you're going to move Joe Harris. You're going to move Seth Curry. You're going to bring in young guys. You're, this becomes a, a, a rebuild, a complete retooling. And mm. something to look at uh, moving forward because the Nets have a lot of difficult, difficult yes. decisions to make. Uh- look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Uh, but on the other side, uh, one of the top, because we always talk about the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. No one's, you know, more like they own property. If, like this was a monopoly, it'd be the Bucks, right? They own everything. Yeah. They're always, they're always like one, two, three. They just yeah. live in the upper echelon, the nicest neighborhoods in our monopoly board, the NBA monopoly board. They're nine and one, Kurt, and 
the best way I can paint this picture for you is I watched uh, one of the games this weekend. Giannis didn't even dress. He was wearing like this yeah. yellow kind of like mustard color, um, like, you know, Nike sweatsuit or something. And he was eating popcorn on the bench and the team won by like, they were up by 30 points in the third quarter. And I was like this, first of all, Giannis is a whole mood. You know, he's like, he's on the bench eating popcorn <laughs> in a sweatsuit. I'm like, this is awesome. And secondly, I'm like, the Bucks are playing without Chris Middleton and Pat Connaughton and without Giannis. And they're playing as well. Uh, what's going well for him? Everything. Everything. I mean, honestly, the offense has been statistically, at least, it's, it's kind of middle of the pack. They really haven't been firing on all cylinders, which is Giannis has played maybe the best basketball in the league, certainly right there. Like he would, it, it's way too early to have an MVP conversation, but he would be in that kind of conversation right now. Um, but they just know who they are and what they're doing and who they can plug in. And Grayson Allen can plug in here and Drew Holiday's playing well. And the offense is good enough and they are playing elite defense right now. One of the top defenses that they, I think statistically the top defense in the NBA, if it slipped a little the last couple of days and it's still in the top handful they're just getting stops. And again, I think that there's, we've talked about this. There's just something to continuity at the start of a season. Every other team is trying to, we're talking about the Nets trying to figure this out and, and Minnesota really can't quite round peg square hole there. And all this other stuff is going on. Bucks know who they are, what they want to do, where they want to be. And like you said, they're only going to get better. Middleton is critical for them, especially in the playoffs. Pat Connaughton brings a lot. They just, they're rolling. One thing you see in the NBA, I, I think, is if you find that rare, rare gym, I'm talking like you're going to build a foundation yeah. on sapphires, you know, and rubies, like that type of rare. If you're lucky enough to find a Giannis and he wants to stay, as you mentioned, then fantastic. Then you find the core piece around you. You're lucky enough to get a, a Chris Middleton. Then you're lucky enough to find that last piece, which is like the crown jewel that, that as far as like that, sorry, the, the triple crown, excuse me, which was that, that holiday, Drew Holiday piece that then propels you to a championship. Now that you found your three, your core, um, and they're happy, I think that the thing about dynasties is being able to put pieces around that. What are the other gems and jewels that you can like replace on a year-to-year basis or kind of like the things that are less precious, maybe the amethysts, you know, or like the topazes, still great stones. I would still like to have those stones. But, you know, but like, you know, like what are the pieces around that? The thing about the Bucks and great dynasties, and I think the Bucks are becoming one of these, if they can figure this out is you know exactly what you're looking for. You know, the size, the price point and everything. And you know what fits in that crown and what doesn't, uh, which I think is like what is the problem with some of these other teams around the NBA is like, you know, Grayson Allen is going to be a great pick, fit because he screams Milwaukee Bucks, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and like, so you know what you're looking for and you know what people's, they're clear to find roles. And it's just like going shopping for these gyms. You know exactly what you want. You're like, I want an amethyst. I want a topaz. Like it's, so I think they're so lucky in that regard. It's such, I mean, that's such a rare thing, Kurt. It is. It is. And I, there's a lot to be said for, I think that p- people underestimate how hard what you're talking about is. And the Spurs did it really well. You've got to draft well in the, and draft well, like in the twenties and develop guys into role players, uh, Jerry West was really good about that in all his stops. And he, they've, we've seen it even again in, in, in uh, Golden State when he was there and they were making some – there's something to that. It's really understanding guys who have not only play the role but fit. It's, that's, that's an art form that a lot of GMs just don't get. And I think there's always owners who want to chase stars, right? Yeah, always. And so when they when they come back, when I'm talking to uh, everyone else for for the the Bucks, you said they're only going to get better. 
do you think this level of play is sustainable for the, the full season? Because uh, we, we think about the other teams in the NBA. We know we say 20 games or so. We'll take yeah. stock, you know, see what teams are, where you fit. Um, do you think this level from, from the rest of the Bucks bench and, and supporting cast, how sustainable is this performance? I mean, there, there will be adversity at some point because there's always adversity at some point. And frankly, you need it, right? You, you need your team to go through some tests, don't you? Like, you can't just win it all without being tested. But, yeah, kind of. Like, I think that, that said, I think this team is good enough to, to be the top seed in the East and not uh, – especially if they're – look, we'll talk about some of the other teams at some point. Like, Cleveland's up there challenging them and stuff, who's young and whatever. But some of the teams we thought would be pushing them. Boston is good, but they're not quite the same without Robert Williams, and they're not going to get him back until, you know, midseason some point. Miami's gotten off to a slower start than expected. Some of these teams that we thought might push them in the regular season just aren't. Yeah, right now it's funny because like, like we don't, if we were going back to that NBA Monopoly board, the other teams are kind of like scrambling a little bit and then yeah. the Bucks are just picking up properties all over the place at a time when, you know, they got, they got more cash uh, coming real soon. So I'm like, man, this is starting to get pretty crazy in the East as far as that, that solid grip. Um, at the number one spot. So uh, we talked about the MVP briefly way too early, super right. early, but we have to mention Luka Doncic, don't we? I mean, we, every year we always say, Kurt, he's going to win MVP or, he, you know, he, he's a candidate. You know, at least he's, he's going to be in the conversation. But right now, I mean, he has nine straight games, just like the sinking, nine straight games with over 30 points. Um, and the comp, because, you know, everyone needs comp. What, how good is that? You're, you're talking, you're in the, the same conversation. The only other person... Uh, is Wilt Chamberlain. It's kind of like, what? So so when you think about his performance, uh, how is this start to an MVP season for Luca? Anytime, I just have a rule of thumb. Like anytime your name comes up in a record conversation with Wilt Chamberlain, you're, you're doing something right, right? Like his, he, he was putting up like video game numbers back in the 60s and 70s. Um, I think first off, and we talked a little about this before, coming in off of Eurobasket, it was huge for him, right? Like he started really slowly last year. He's traditionally not kind of played his way into shape at the start of seasons. Not this year. He was, you know, focused for that and came in. I I think that helped. I, I guess my question, Corey, well, I mean, ultimately winning MVP, they're going to have to keep winning a lot of games, which I think they can do. But my ultimate question, Corey, is, can he keep this up without that secondary playmaker or does it eventually catch up with him? Does that, does that, does that load catch up with him, Corey? No, I, I think we're, I think what we see here is this. So a couple of things first is you, you can surprise people when you first come into the league. I think Luca necessarily, I think he did still kind of surprise some people when oh, he yeah. first came yeah. in, but, but, you know, remember we saw him play overseas and he was winning championships, you know, in Spain. So like we, people knew how good he was, but there was still that moment of like, whoa, like this guy is putting up triple double type of numbers in the, in the, the, the high twenties. Okay. The first year you can surprise people. The second year they're prepared for you. They game plan for you. Now we've entered into the MVP type of like stage of your career where people know what Luca can do. There's no way he can – like, we saw him play at the Olympics this year against best competition and bring Sylvania, like, two unbelievable heights. We saw him with heroic feats over and over again in the playoffs. Like, we know what Luca can do. We know what we've seen. Try to game plan him. And even with all of that, Kurt, 
he's still averaging 36 points a game, eight and eight. <laughs> like, like that's what I'm saying on over 50% shooting and putting up records now in the same conversation as Wilt Chamberlain. So now it's come to the point where you, no one can defend you. You're indefensible. Uh, that's when you become an MVP. Uh, so yeah. I think that this load, understanding that there's literally, there's nothing the opponents can do. I think this is actually sustainable, which is shock, like, shocking. Even without a secondary playmaker, it's still su- su- sustainable because what is your counter? You know, there's yeah. you have like years of film on this guy. What do you do, Kurt? I, I think you mentioned the thing that always most impressed me. It's yeah, he can put up points and he's got this ability to kind of find his way to get eight rebounds and eight assists a game. He is not just a scoring machine. Like he is a well-rounded player. And if you if you throw enough length and doubles at him, he's just going to find other guys. And you've got – he is so hard to defend. It's just ridiculous. And then, Kurt, this is the thing that shocks me. You ready for this? This stat. His birthday, February 28, 1999. <laughs> so you know what that means? <laughs> that means, Kurt, he's 23 years old. Oh, my gosh. He's going to – and turns 24 during the season. He is – in theory, guys don't really hit their prime until what? 25, 27, 28. Yeah. So, so then, so we're thinking about like, we're talking about, of course, like this concept of like, you know, like a well rounded triple double machine who's doing things like Oscar Robertson, you know, but at like LeBron size you know, and like Magic Johnson type of like, the, the, I mean, but putting up offensive numbers and performances like Wilt Chamberlain, like these are like the legends of basketball. He's 23, about to turn 20, 23 going on 24, right? So for, for me, when I look at this, Kurt, I start thinking to myself, I don't think it's the shape thing. You know, like, like can you come in the season in shape? I think right now we're entering the, the reps cap- the conversation, uh, the experience conversation. And what the Eurobasket, I, I think that um, that experience playing Eurobasket gave Luca more reps, just like last year the Olympics gave him more reps. And I think the more reps he gets, um, the more he's indefensible. It's just more practice, especially being 23. Um, so now it's kind of like just acquiring reps, acquiring reps, acquiring reps. And I think that's why we're seeing him getting such a, off to such a start, strong start this season. Yeah. The, and, and by the way, he's a guy who back, even going back to Europe, has seen, he's seen everything you're going to throw at him, it feels like, doesn't it? Like you just, he's seen all the defenses. He's seen everything. It's, it's really hard to stop him. He's a, he's must watch TV too. So. And it's weird, Kurt, because like if you look at a lot of like um, musicians and stuff, you think, "Oh, this guy, this person, this man or woman, overnight success." But you you don't see that their first mixtape, you know, like you don't see the first mixtapes or whatever before the debut album, you know. And, and I think that's kind of what we see here is that like, oh, uh, when this person won ten Grammys or five Grammys in the night, like where do they come from? Best new artist. It's like actually they have eight years of industry experience. You know, they've been a child musician in child bands and doing all that stuff. Same thing with TV. Oh, first Oscar nomination. Actually, I have 10 years under my belt. I think that's what we're seeing with Luka Doncic, where somehow he keeps surprising us. And like you said, yeah, he's he's won so many championships, played in so many big games and has so much great experience against like the world's best players. Uh, But he just surprises us because he's 23. You know, so I think when he finally gets that MVP in that championship, it's like, you know, it's the same phenomenon. How did you do this at such a young age? It's like I've been playing high level. I've been playing professionally since I was a teenager. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Look, nobody is singing a better song right now than Luka Doncic. He is is on top of it. But while we're in the musician category, I think it's time for Corey's jukebox this week and and, uh, songs you've picked out for uh, players or teams. Uh, 
like my favorite part of the pod now. So like, take it away, Corey. Like who's on the top of the uh, list this week? Uh, let's start with the jazz, shall we? Let's go to Utah. Okay. I was thinking, Hey Jude uh, by the Beatles. Why? I think okay. right now. I, yeah. I think right now I, I'm thinking moments, right? Like I'm not thinking the whole season forecast. I'm just thinking a week to week kind of thing. So it seems, it seems like you're a little surprised by my Hey Jude. Uh, that doesn't, that's not like immediate. That doesn't just jump out to you. No, no, it, it didn't. I just, I'm trying to, I'm what's the correlation? Why, why Hey Jude to, to the jazz? I'm trying to, I'm trying to see what the connection is. Well, do you know how J, Hey Jude came about, right? Why it's just like, like why um, McCartney wrote it. He was actually writing it to Julian Lennon, uh, John Lennon's son. And the story goes that when John Lennon left his wife to go uh, be with Yoko Ono, Paul McCartney wrote a song for Julian called Hey Jude as a, as a way to comfort him. Um, so when I thought about the Utah Jazz, you know, you lose your, your franchise core. You lose Donovan Mitchell. You lose Rudy, Rudy Gobert. You get new ownership. You already lost Quinn Snyder. The whole band got broken up, you know, in a sense. The family got broken up. And uh, it's like a, a song comforting the, the players there and the fans. It's like, hey, everything's going to be OK. And now they're off to a really good start. You know, so I thought that actually might work. Yeah, it's they are. They're really interesting in the way that they doesn't you don't think they should fit together, but they do. Laurie, Laurie Markkinen's been phenomenal. Jordan Clarkson's been a great playmaker. They're defending pretty well as a team. It's it's it. And that's an interesting connection with. I, I did not know that story about the song. I, I did not know what the uh, the background was, but they are jazz fans. Have I'm not sure if Danny Ainge is thrilled, but jazz fans have to be thrilled, don't they? Yeah, because I, I think it's kind of like remember um, when Russell Wilson left Seattle. Yeah, and it's kind of like the same thing where it's like, will we be be okay? And then when Seattle played Denver and, and Seattle won, do you remember reading Pete Carroll's? I, I was reading his press conference clippings, and it's like all these guys came back for that game, and it was like a super raucous environment to welcome Russell Wilson back to Seattle after you know he won a Super Bowl there and everything he did there. But it was kind of a reminder, like, hey, uh, I remember Pete Carroll was saying something to the effect of like this game was really important. Like, a lot of our guys circled this game when they came back to to, to visit because this is bigger than one person. It's a program, right? And and I think that that's kind of the same concept we're seeing in Utah. And the same thing we saw with like New England when uh, and the Patriots and welcoming, you know, like what happens like when you welcome back a Tom Brady? Like everyone kind of wants to say like, hey, you know, is it you or is it the program? Yeah. Uh, and I think Utah is kind of like, you must be kind of, okay, it might be us, you know? <laughs> it might be that they're pretty good. And, and uh we could do a whole separate podcast on Russell Wilson right now. Like that's a probably a whole different topic. Yeah, we could do it. We could do a lot. Couldn't we? Um, so Russell, so Russell Westbrook though, another Russell, uh, I chose him for the individual player. Cause you know, I've been kind of doing one team song and then one player right. song. And the, for Russell Westbrook, I thought the payback by James Brown for a couple of reasons. One, I love funk music. Great music. I love James Brown. So I thought I had to get him on the pod. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was the first reason. Uh, and then the second one was the payback is a classic album. Great album. But the, the song, the payback, if you listen to the, the lyrics, it's, first of all, it's, it's just like, it's a gnarly song. It's dripping with attitude. It's like, yeah. hey, I'm going to get my payback. You know, like stop trying to 
to steal my girl. You know, that's not cool. I can dig rapping, but you know, I don't dig backstabbing. Like the whole concept is like, if you want to scrap, I'm cool to scrap. I'm good to, you know, to fight you. I'm good to do that. But just like, just like fight me face up. And I think one thing that we're seeing in Russell Westbrook's game right now is look, the Lakers are not good. We understand that defensively they're very good, which means, you know, I think that offensively it's going to come for them because they have too many great offensive playmakers like, you know, namely Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Uh, but whilst Russell Westbrook getting demoted from the starting lineup, following, you know, coming back to his hometown and all the crazy pressure that was on them last year. And then the question this year, can he accept the bench role? Can the former MVP accept the bench role for him to kind of like take that bench role? And put up these numbers, 26 points, 19 points, 22 points. I mean, against Cleveland, who's a very good team, like there was nothing offensively for the Lakers until Russell Westbrook checked in in the third quarter. Like in the second half, it was minutes of just drought. The, the Cleveland Cavaliers went on like a, I think it was like a, a 9-0 run to open. I mean, it was like a crazy run. They check in. Uh, Russell Westbrook, and immediately the defense gets better. Immediately the offense gets cleaner. Anthony Davis is playing better. LeBron James is playing better. They had an edge. You know, it didn't sustain for the rest of the game, but I, I kept seeing that in that game where he's not only bringing that edge to them, that electricity on the offensive side, but defensively. Um, and I think that this might be his moment to say, hey, look, a lot of guys are counting me out. Like, I can dig scrapping. Like, let's, let's, let's fight. He's averaging 19.3 points a game off the bench and doing it with a ridiculously good true shooting percentage. I think it was six. I have it in today's power rankings. I think it's 62%. Like he off the bench has been, I think Darvin Ham knew that this role could fit him, but he's really embraced it and taken it on. And you're right. They've been better. Lakers have just been better because of it. They, They are they're only going so far. This is a flawed roster nonetheless, True. but they are, but it's about maximizing what you have. And I think, doesn't it feel like Westbrook off the bench is genuinely maximizing what's best for him and the Lakers? Yes. We saw this experiment kind of with Carmelo Anthony in Portland, you know, like yeah. can you take a former franchise player come off the bench and just give me instant offense, you know, and it's very difficult. I mean, I, I cannot overstate this Kurt. Because this is at the end of the day, you're, you're dealing with grown men, but you're also dealing with extremely fragile egos. And that's just a fact because, you know, anyone who is, you know, in the entertainment business has a very fragile ego. They're very insecure. And that's like one of the secrets of like actors and athletes. Uh, that's why everyone has a chip on their shoulder, even though if you're a Hall of Famer, it's like, give me my respect. Like, you know, everyone is insecure. That's why they're in entertainment, because they want to perform for people and get validation. Uh, so when you have a 30-something-year-old, former MVP, former franchise player having to accept a bench role, that is a huge mental shift and a pay cut, huge mental shift. I think this could extend Russell Westbrook's career for years. You know, And we talked about this before with Kyrie Irving. Can you reestablish your trade value? Can you reestablish your market value? Like Russell Westbrook coming into this role after being shipped around team to team to team to team. This performance, 19 points a game, like you can become a six man of the year type of player for us and give us instant offense like that could easily reestablish his market value and give him another eight years of really good basketball. Yeah. And whether that's with the Lakers staying at home or whatever, if, if he's willing to accept this six man role, there are a whole lot of teams that would be happy to plug him in. And he could he genuinely could go chase a ring, you know, like there's a lot of teams that could use that kind of that kind of firepower off the bench. You need, you need depth to succeed in the playoffs and, and, and get there. And yeah, it does open up. If he's willing to do this and he's, 
to his credit, he seems willing to do that. You're right. It is payback. He has been, he is, he has shut up a lot of Laker fans who wanted him shipped the, they would have traded him for a bag of Doritos at that point. They would, and <laughs> he's been good. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like I said, it's amazing to see how people adjust. We don't know if this is going to last, but I just wanted to make sure we gave him his credit because he has been the scapegoat for a while now. And I think the, the conversation is the narrative is starting to change. And I think it's just a really, I think it's a really interesting moment. Um, but with, with the Lakers generally, let's, let's zoom out from Russell Westbrook and the payback and James Brown to um, the Lakers. You and I both know, and the whole world knows, like everyone who has ever seen a game of basketball knows that the, the, the L.A. Lakers revolve around um, one person, and that is Anthony Davis. Uh, he is the engine that makes that team great, decent, or, you know, out of out of order. Um do you think or how likely is it that the Lakers can actually build around him long term? Because, you know, LeBron is getting older. I think that that's really the question they have to answer this season is, is this the guy you can turn the franchise over to? And he's been their best player this year. He has um, played well. Is it just me, Corey? Like, I have not looked at him as well as he's played and thought top five, top seven franchise player, cornerstone guy. He's been good. He's been all-star level. He's been top, let's say, 15, top 12 maybe. I, don't, I, I haven't really ranked it out. He's been good, but I don't know if he's been good enough. And I think that the Lakers – I will just say that there's talk around the league that look, the Lakers have to rework this roster. And if you're going to do it fast around LeBron James and keep LeBron James as your anchor – do you trade Anthony Davis and get back as much as you can to help you win now? Make a, the kind of trade Brooklyn was sort of talking about trying to make, right? With, hey, we don't want to lose. We just want guys who can help us now. Could they do that with Anthony Davis? What could they get back? I mean, I, I know it's getting, I don't know if it's getting conversation in the Los Angeles front office, but I know other teams are kind of thought, have thought they might have to go there because there's nothing else on this roster. Westbrook, you can't trade at 47 million despite him playing a little better. And there's nothing else on, there's nobody else on this roster you're trading for anything of real value. If you're really trading somebody to retool the roster, it's Davis. Which I think is a massive, massive mistake. I, I think we know what a LeBron James team without Anthony Davis looks like. Yeah. Anthony Davis has been injured a lot. And the fact of the matter is they're eighth in the Western Conference, ninth, tenth in the Western Conference. Like that's the, that's the level of play. And with LeBron playing incredibly well and with a cast of different all-stars. And we, we saw this with Russell Westbrook. We saw this with, you know, uh, with Carmelo Anthony. Like, we saw it with Dwight Howard. Like, we saw all these different pieces around him. Dennis Schroeder, like, and still, they're 8th to 10th. So, for me, it's kind of like, why would you trade your most valuable asset that everyone knows, you know, like, it's, it's clear that he is the reason they're a championship team or not. Um at this at this stage uh, in LeBron's career, that's just kind of like the facts over the past few seasons. Uh, I will say though, Kurt, I do think Anthony Davis is a lot like Kevin Durant. I think that, in the sense of like when I think about their roles, I don't know if I see them as franchise cornerstones. I see them more as like a number two guy to assist uh, a Giannis or a Steph. See what I'm saying? I do. I don't know if I put Durant there. I kind of still think of him as a number one, but, but I got a feeling with 
Davis, that might be the case, that he might be the ultimate number two kind of you put him next to you, right? I mean, if you plug him in with Giannis or you plug him in with whomever, they're going to be great. But he's not, he's not 1A on a championship level team. He's still, I mean, he put up really great back with the Pelicans, remember? I mean, carried yeah. them, put up big numbers. Huge numbers. But once again, they lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is much, to be fair, there was not much around him on that team, too. They were not winning. That was not Anthony Davis's fault. Yeah, true. But I mean, go, go back to Kevin Durant for a second. You know, I think we both agree Anthony Davis is probably a number two. And, and when I say number two, I just want to make sure we one A almost. Yeah, exactly. We want to make sure we're very, very clear here. At least for me, like I think like Scottie Pippen is a hall. Of, you know, Scottie Pippen's a Hall of Famer, but he's playing next to Michael Jordan. You know, and and the thing is like, like when I think about like that team, how many championships did they win? Right. So I so I think like if a rising tide floats all boats. So when I say like a number two in my mind, I'm like, you're still Hall of Fame caliber and you still win championships. You're just like, you know, but there, let's just be honest. There's one Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, so, so with Kevin Durant, you really think he's, he's 34 now. He's 34 years old. And I think it's pretty like he's been playing for a very, very, very long time. So it's like we can probably make a clear judgment on this. You really believe that he's a number one franchise cornerstone like a Steph Curry? I think so. I mean, I think he's capable of being that. I, you need another really strong player during the regular season, but I think look, he's got two Finals MVPs for a reason. I think I mean, but playing played, next, to, but playing next to Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah, playing next to Steph Curry, but he was the guy they turned to in in to create shots at the end of the clock and stuff uh, in those games. So I still, I don't know personally. I think he can be, but you need a again whether and I don't think Anthony Davis is necessarily fit, but you need a strong one B. Um, next to Durant, you know, kind of like Brooklyn thought Kyrie Irving was going to be. I think, I think their problem. And I think, you know, and then again, I think Kyrie Irving also is in this conversation of like Kyrie Irving hit like the game winner, right. When the, when the Cavs won. Oh yeah. Yeah. So my point is, but like he's, when you go, when you need a a last second shot, he's the guy who takes the shot, but it's LeBron's team. He, and just like with the same thing. I I agree with you on the Warriors. That that was always Curry's team. That that was, I, I, even if I think Durant was a better player at that point, it's kind of moot. The culture was set by the tone. Everything was set by Curry. And they still – his gravity still makes everything work to this day. But, I mean, back then still made – Durant was able to get those shots because two people got to have their eye on Curry 35 feet from the basket, right? Like you, And Clay. He still, he still warps you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's why he's like, and Clay's there too. You know, keep your eyes yeah. out on him. So, so I, I think that in that role, that's why I think Kevin Durant excels. And that's why I, said, I don't think he's a franchise cornerstone in that sense. And we talked about this before, just how rare a Giannis or Steph Curry oh, or yeah. Tim Duncan is. Like these are the type of players that come around, you know, yeah. once every 10 or 20 years. So it's just a real. it's just a reality, I think. So when we, or LeBron James is in that sense. So with Anthony Davis to bring this back to LA, I think he's like clearly that. We saw him. I know he was young in New Orleans, so that's one thing. But I think one of the key hallmarks of the players I just mentioned is availability. You know, and the reality is that Anthony Davis just doesn't play enough basketball consistently. Joel Embiid fits into this category as well. He, they just don't play. They're incredibly talented. They're like Hall of Fame type of players as far as skill sets are concerned in production. But the reality is they just don't play enough basketball to be considered, in my mind, a franchise cornerstone. Because how can you be a cornerstone if, like, you're not there? <laughs> no, that's it's that that is a problem. I think it's got to be a concern for the Lakers. He is Davis is playing through a back that is clearly bothering him a little, and he's still playing again brilliantly. But every time he gets injured, you have to be a little bit concerned. 
Yeah, so I, I, we'll see where they start going here in a post-LeBron world. Um, it's a it's an interesting thought experiment, and we could spend many, many, many minutes talking about it. Uh, but I think it's time to wrap up the podcast, don't you, Kurt? And, and let's go to our fun segment, one of my favorite parts um, every single uh, week. This one is talking about the start of college basketball. Yeah. Uh, who's your team? I, you know, it's funny. I don't really have a team per se. Um, I go to a lot of Long Beach State games because I could hit a driver and hit their building. Well, I couldn't. Mine would like slice off into the parking lot and like shatter some guy's windshield. But if you knew how to hit a golf ball straight, like you could hit a golf ball. So I go see games there. I got a daughter at Santa Barbara, so I, and they won the coaches' poll for the Big West. So I watch a decent amount of Big West basketball. But honestly, it's that's the place we can go and I can have a beer and watch a game. And I, and I know Dan Monson a little, I like just not have to, there's, I'm not writing about it. I'm just going to watch it. I am not stressing about it. I am not like, I'm not sitting up there going, Oh my God, why are they running the pick and roll cover? (laughs) None of that is happening, right? Like I'm just, I just get to go enjoy the game, but I don't watch a ton of college basketball outside of that, except for, work-related reasons like I, oh yeah, I better go watch um whatever you know, name your group got to watch Paolo Bancaro last year got to watch yeah. Chet Holmgren games last year um this year it's a little weird isn't it I mean one yeah. thing out in France Scoot Henderson's on the G League elite Thompson twins are playing for overtime there are top players uh and I'll send up watching some but it's it's I don't feel the same urgency that I did like I did watch the Wemba Yamba games you know against Scoot but I I don't know if I'll be – we'll see how much I get end up watching. What about you? I mean, I imagine you're going to be watching Notre Dame men and women. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Notre Dame women's basketball team. I mean, like, that's my team. I I, yeah. uh, I went to so many games in college. I, like, huge Skylar Diggins-Smith fan. You know, like, I, I, uh, I, I it's just like this is – I follow all the, the, the indie alums in the WNBA, you know, like, so I'm a huge, huge fan. Um, I remember where I was when Enrique hit the the both shots to win the second champion, win the championship. Yeah, I remember where I was game, in, in that, that championship way. game and in the final four game to get to the championship game. I was in the airport. I mean, so like you know, I, I just like I'm a huge women's basketball fan, and Neil Ivy uh, is just one of my absolute favorite coaches. And this weekend is a huge game because uh, it's the inaugural um, City Shamrock Classic, Kurt. And the whole concept, you know, in Notre Dame football, they do Shamrock Series games. Yeah, yeah, which was they in travel. Vegas this year, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was in Vegas this year. They play at Allegiant Stadium. And every year, like, you know, I went in my Shamrock game when I played for Notre Dame. We played at Fenway. So my my teammate's yeah. locker room was, like, in Big Poppy's locker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, we get, to the, we get to the locker room and it's like, oh, snap, like, Big Poppy. You know, like <laughs> – so, like, that was so cool. We played all over. And then I went to the New York game. They played at Yankee Stadium. We played in, like, MetLife. We played at all these different, like, you know, NFL stadiums and baseball stadiums. Um, and it's just a cool way. It's like a midseason bowl game. There's, like, you know, events. Like, you get to, like, meet alums. They come talk to you, all this stuff. Like, Rocky Blyer came and spoke to the team when they oh, went no to way. That's awesome. Yeah, like, so you get to, like, talk to Hall of Famers, like, you know, Justin Tuck and all these guys. And for, for this concept to exist now in women's basketball for, like, you know, yeah. elite, like an elite, elite program in the college basketball consciousness and to do it, like I said, um, on NBC, this is the first ever live broadcast of a women's college basketball game oh. on NBC. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I will be watching this. It's the second game. They, they uh, had a great home opener. Um, they won. So this game this weekend, it's Saturday, November 12th. 
um, 4 p.m. Eastern. It's in St. Louis where Coach Ivy, it's like where she's from. Sharman Smith, the head coach at Cal, is also oh, from yeah. St. Louis. So it's like this whole thing. That'd be a good game, too. Cal's a good program. So, yeah. yeah. All right. I'm tuning in. You, you've sold me on my Saturday, man. <laughs> me and you both. Well, you can catch all the latest NBA news, articles, and more at NBCSports.com slash NBA. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.